0: makers of sport podcast episode 20 with Ted Irvin To episode twenty of the Makers of Sport podcast, I'm your host Adam Martin at t Adam Martin on Twitter. Today we have the pleasure of having Ted Irvin on the podcast. Ted is a senior design director at Vox Media, which is an online news and media company that owns the likes of The Verge, a very popular technology blog, SB Nation, uh, the sports uh, sports network of websites, Polygon. Curbed, and more. At Vox Media, Ted is responsible for the creative direction and brand management of all the properties, as well as hiring new talent. Welcome to the show, Ted. I appreciate you taking the time this Saturday morning to uh, come aboard and talk to me. Awesome, man. I'm super happy to be here. Cool. So I I gave a brief introduction to you in the intro. However, I'd love to give our listeners a little bit more in depth on your background uh, as far as your start in design, which ultimately led you to Vox Media.
1: So to take it way back, which is like much, much longer than I'd like to admit um, publicly, um, I got my start at art school. Uh, I went to Tyler School of Art, um, which is part of Temple University in Philadelphia. Um, Was always interested in, you know, uh, creative outlets, drawing, painting and whatnot. Um, I think I had, you know, the grand designs of being like a comic book artist when I was in high school. Went to college. Uh, Saw what a lot of folks did after they graduated with like an MFA in painting, which was go live with their parents and become waiters and waitresses. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's super glamorous, right? Uh, Decided that something a little more practical would probably be better for, you know, me not moving home. Um, So decided to focus on, you know, graphic design. Um, At that point in time, there was print design and what, you know, we called interactive design. So I did a dual major, um, in both graduated from, from Tyler, um, moved down to the, the DC area, uh, took a job at a really small firm called uh, workhorse creative, um, did a bunch of branding work there. Uh, we did branding for like, it was really, really funny. Cause if you're up late enough at, at night, um, uh, we did stuff for time life. So it would be all over TV and infomercials. Um, we did stuff for Marriott, uh, so we, we did, it was, it was a, an interesting introduction to the idea of you know, kind of like developing brands. Left there, took a gig at a moved back up to Philly, took a gig at a company called Design Force, which was a brand consultancy, um, did a bunch of really interesting work there. They worked with like Marvel Comics around like licensing, around movies, like toy biz, so like Lord of the Rings, you know, kind of like uh, for a kid who wanted to be a comic book artist at some point, it was kind of a, a dream gig for a few years left there and kind of did a little bit of a, a pivot in my career. I kind of hit one of those moments where I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Ended up back out in DC. My brother lives in DC, ended up in, in DC spending a little bit of time with him in between jobs. And the Washington Post had a, uh, had an advertisement um, for a designer and it was for, for the website. And I'd kind of not while I kept doing web design on the side, I hadn't really been doing it as a, a primary gig. So much to my now wife, then girlfriend's chagrin, uh, I accepted a job in D.C. while she was in Philadelphia working for the Washington Post. And that's really where I got my start um, in digital publishing. And I worked at the Post for about three and a half years on the really, really exciting idea of online advertising, and this is about 2004, so I was a, an expert at creating uh, flash banner ads uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and online marketing campaigns. But I think what was really interesting about that and what, what has you know, served me well in my stops you know, after the post is that it really gave me an understanding of the, the business side of, you know, operating an online, like online property or properties. So that was, that was a bonus. Um, from the post, I went to AOL and AOL was one of those jobs in DC that if you're a designer, like at least back then, like almost everyone had, had kind of worked there and it had like a good and bad like reputation. It was, you know, it was known as a, as a, a safe place to work unless you're doing layoffs, but you might not be doing the most creative work of your life. So I ended up there and, you know, I was a little bit hesitant to go, but, uh, you know, I went out there and met some fantastic people. Um, they were just, you know, it was was literally amazing. So it put me a little bit at ease. Um, actually got my start there on, um, the women's channel uh, working on the redesign of stylist, um, wrapped that project up and it turned out that AOL sports was going to become, well, they already had FanHouse, right? Like FanHouse was a really, really popular blog. They also had AOL Sports. Uh, but what they wanted to do was turn FanHouse into the flagship sports site. So they were looking for someone to, to help lead that project. And it was, you know, fortunate timing that I was wrapping up the, my work on Stylist and was able to jump over and work on the FanHouse rebrand and relaunch. And, you know, that was probably my real... Like I'd always really, really been into sports, so like um, I'd always been super interested in in it. But I hadn't really designed for it until uh, FanHouse, and you know we worked on that for about three another like three years, and then of course you know AOL kind of pivoted there, um, shuttered FanHouse, and oh god, who became their uh, their flagship sports site? Um, Sporting News became their flagship sports site. So after. After we, they decided to, to shut down Fan House, you know, I, I realized that like I, I really, really loved doing working on sports. One of the designers that worked for me at AOL had left to go work at SB Nation. And he had been bugging me to meet with his boss and talk about the, the idea of potentially me going and helping lead design at SB Nation. Um, I kind of blew that conversation off for, for a few months, kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, and then finally went and had um, a great barbecue dinner with uh, Trey Brundrett, who is the chief product officer now at Vox Media. Um, at that point, he was just the, the VP of technology at, uh, at SB Nation. And we really hit it off. And, and, you know, we talked about the opportunity of, you know, where SB Nation could go, you know, kind of talked about like big ideas around, you know, web, like, you know, online publishing design and, and where it's not great and where it could be better So I almost four years ago to like this week, um, I took the job at at SB Nation, really, really excited to focus uh, solely on sports again. And the the, the funnier part of the story is about three weeks after I got there, that's when we announced that we were um, the the editorial team from Engadget was coming over from AOL and we, we kind of announced The Verge. Um, The circle
0: of life, man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, so that, that's kind of like the, the long version of, of how I got to, uh, to Vox Media and and SB Nation.
0: Cool. So uh, SB Nation is, is uh, a bit of an interesting story. I remember seeing it years ago and thinking, you know, who are these guys? Like this is, they tended to, uh, to be doing things differently, uh, I feel like that SB Nation really came onto the sports, the online sports scene with a boom. Can you talk a little bit about the story of SB Nation, like its origin and the idea behind it, using content creators from around the country who were already producing solid content for their prospective teams?
1: Yeah, so I mean, SB Nation is 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 really like a fascinating story because it, you know, it really started with one person, Tyler Blazinski. And uh, Athletics Nation, you know, he he felt that there was a kind of a big white space in sports coverage that, you know, while you might get some good local coverage, there really wasn't fan centric coverage. And, you know, he wanted to kind of like fill that gap. So he launched Athletics Nation. Um, It went really well. Uh, One site led to six sites. And then from those six sites, we've grown I think at our maximum, we had like 330 sites. I think we're down to somewhere around 310 to 315, you know, uh, sites for teams and fans. And, you know, the the one thing, and it was funny because, you know, I hadn't been, like, I'd kind of known of of SB Nation, but um, I grew, like, I went to school in Philly. um, So I was, uh, unfortunately, um, a Philly sports fan. And, you know, like Bleeding Green Nation for, for Eagles News is really, really great. And, you know, as, as I was, you know, kind of researching where about, you know, this potential move, it clicked that I was like, oh, wait, I was like, this site that I go to every day is actually part of SB Nation. And, you know, what they were able to do and, and continue to do is, you know, provide one, provide decent coverage of, you know, your your team that you're super into, um, but two, give you an opportunity to. Post about that team and, and to write about that team. A fascinating story is Brian Floyd, um, who's the managing editor of espionation.com, of um, got his start as a commenter on a blog um, and moved from like commenting on a blog to writing for a blog to managing that blog um, to then becoming manager editor of espionation.com. So it, it's also been a way for us to find talented people that want to come and, and work with us.
0: That's, that's a, that's an interesting point that you make there about, you know, going from commenter to moving into, uh, you know, being the lead, uh, I th- what did you, did you say? Lead editor of the, the ma- of the ma- site? The manager. Okay. Era. Yeah. Yeah. So because it's, I think in today's sort of internet, social internet era, you see this happening a lot. Like, I know locally, so I'm a I'm around Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, I'm a Kentucky sports fan, college sports, obviously. And, uh, you know, there was a guy here that started a blog like called Kentucky Sports Radio, and then it grew into this big thing, and now he's, like, on TV now and all this stuff. And he was, like, originally, like, a lawyer. And I know the same thing happened with Clay Travis, who's at Fox Sports. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he started a site called Outkick to Coverage, and it was sort of an SEC football blog and it grew into this thing. So it's, it's crazy how this vertical sort of provides people that weren't necessarily working in it, that might be super knowledgeable about the, the business to, uh, to move into these other, these other areas. Um, I I do want to touch on, so as far as, uh, you know, SB Nation started and then, so, so where did Vox Media come into play? Like, did they, was it a company that already existed and they purchased SB Nation and, and, you know, then morphing into sort of like other, other verticals?
1: No, no. So it's actually the the name is is uh a, a little bit of a, a funny story. Um so what uh SB Nations parent company um had a a very very sexy name. Um it was called Sports Blogs Inc. Um Blogs <laughs> was, was blogs was all capitalized and uh so that, that's what that's what appeared on our our checks when we when we got paid. And uh, the conversation we had internally was Obviously, that name as as you know a for, for a a growing media company wouldn't work. So what we did internally, we just kind of did a uh, a naming exercise and a and a branding exercise, and came up with the name Vox Media, and and so we kind of morphed from Sports Vlogs Inc. into into Vox Media, but no, there was no there was no kind of like. Uh, Vox Media wasn't an entity that came in and, take it, and took it over. It's just kind of like we decided to change from um, our super descriptive name into uh, a, a name that could allow us to grow a little bit more.
0: Yeah, so, so you, you, had this, uh, you had this success going like initially with SB Nation. When was the decision made to sort of, you saw what was happening in the sports niche, and, and, and then you guys sort of made a decision to move into other verticals.
1: We did. So I, I think the, the kind of like, like the underlying infrastructure that we built to, uh, really easily launch sports blogs, you know, we kind of thought, and this happened, this, this was the thinking of it before I got there. Um, and you know, the, the thing was that, Hey, you know, it's pretty easy for us to launch sports blogs and, you know, get, generate some revenue and, and generate pretty good traffic. You know, it would be really interesting if we tried it beyond sports so, you know, that kind of led to, you know, conversations with Josh Topolsky and um, folks from Engadget and, you know, we're like, all right, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's see if we can, you know, take our platform and it, it's, we call it chorus now, expand our platform beyond sports, um, into, into tech and, you know, the, like we had to do some refactoring and, and, and rework things a little bit, but you know the the bet proved it was, it was a good bet to make, and you know from there we had the opportunity with Chris Grant and you know some folks from JoyStick, some folks from Kotaku, and and some other people to to launch Polygon. So we quickly went from like it's it's kind of funny because I'll I'll say we quickly went from like you know one vertical to three verticals, but like with one vertical being a collection of three hundred sites. So you know from you know, with, within me being uh, there a year and a half, we we had gone from you know just sports to sports tech and, and gaming, but none of that could have been done without kind of like the forward thinkingness of like of you know like Trey Rundrett, um, Pablo Mercado, Michael Lovett, Ryan Gantz. Like those were the kind of like the four key people that that helped build our platform.
0: So did making those moves, did you have people that were sort of like, they came to work on sports, they're super interested in sports, and then you have to kind of move into some of these other, other areas? Was there some pushback at all during some of those times because of that reason?
1: I mean, yeah, like, like, I think, you know, there, there were some big questions. I mean, honestly, even, even me personally, I, I was looking forward to kind of coming back and, and focusing solely on, on sports and, and wanting to make like the, the most badass sports website, you know, out there. And, you know, and, and then quickly I needed to, to one, like build a much larger team. Um, we had a, at that point we had like a team of three, um, I needed to build a much larger team and, you know, kind of start thinking about other things. So, you know, like personally for me, it was, I was kind of, it was one of those moments where I was like, <laughs> I was like, Oh, I was like, is this you know, really, really, really what I want to do. Um, fortunately the answer was yes for some other folks on the team too they were you know there it, it was a little bit of a moment of pause because it, it was a big shift for at that time a small team
0: i remember the the launch of the verge and and obviously i had already known about Espionation and and I, and I i remember so when josh you know came over and uh and you know his team and seeing the design of the verge, you know, I remember thinking like, man, this is, this is super cool. And then it was like this crazy, like moment when I sort of tied it all together. They're like, Oh, this is, this is like all, this is like the SB nation people. This is, this is crazy. (laughs) So that's, it's, it's crazy how the SB nation brand led the way for some of these other sites to come on with a, with a great focus on design and super high quality content, even from the actual you know, content of the of the sites to the content of like the advertising. I do want to talk a little bit about a couple years ago, you guys did a, a big rebrand with specifically with SB Nation. Uh, you worked with Fraser Davidson, who's actually going to be my next guest on the uh, on the the identity of each of the sites. So, how has systemizing or uh, templating both the branding and the structure of those sites aided you guys in establishing a stronger presence in the digital sports content arena?
1: So, um, it, it, like, super interesting question, and like for us, a really complex one. Um, so, yeah, it was it was 2012, and you know, we put a a big, we had a bunch of meetings, uh, did a bunch of thinking put together a, a very impressive, uh, keynote deck called SB Nation United. And with, with the underlying idea being that, you know, there wasn't like brand awareness wasn't great. Like the, uh, we had, we had all these properties, but the association with these properties to SB Nation itself was limited at best. So we wanted to strengthen that relationship. We had a a bunch of sites that, you know, at that point we had like a three column layout and, you know, the, the outside of the, the center well, it was a little bit of like a free for all as to how um, sites like what they could put in there, they could basically put in anything they wanted. So we, we started to kind of feel a level of fragmentation um, that, that, you know, we needed, we felt we needed to kind of course correct, which, you know, then led us to the idea of, okay, like, what, what should we, you know, what should we do? How should we approach this? And, at this point, we were in a uh, a really like, a, a small townhouse in in uh, Dupont Circle in Washington D.C. The designers and I were kind of uh, we we'd taken over what used to be a conference room, which is basically like the size of like a bedroom. We were just kind of like kicking around ideas. One of our one of uh, one of the designers we uh, too like pulled up Frazier's work, and he was like, "Man, he's like, how dope would it be if you know we got you know this guy to rebrand all." At that point, 330 sites. And I was like, well, one, that sounds amazing. I was like, with two, I was like, I have I no, I, like, you know, we should see if he, he'd be interested. But like, that's just a math, like, to me, it was just a massive and kind of like intimidating project. And right. I was like, you know, one, would Frazier have time? And two, would he just like laugh when, when you know, we, we told him the scope of it? So we set up a shot of an email and uh, it was one of those ones where I was thoroughly expecting, like, just to get like an LOL reply and that's it. However, that didn't happen, uh, and he and I set up a Skype call and just kind of walked through the project. And you know, he's like, "Yeah, I, I want to do it." So for the next, like, we did we did the, the the biggest chunk of work we did in about six weeks. Which one? I was like, I'm not a hundred percent sure if, if he's actually human. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, because basically, what we would do is, I would we had a, a creative brief template that I would send out to to each blog. They would like complete that like that questionnaire. I would send that to Fraser, and then, you know, it was almost like every it was almost daily he would be sending me, you know, the the logos for you know for me to send back to the sites to to you know get their thumbs up or thumbs down. So it was just like you know we had that process going right and and you know that went that went really 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 well and then we had the process of kind of like streamlining the sites themselves and you know that was like that was hard that was probably harder like we probably made it a little bit harder for ourselves than it needed to be but that was like that was a really tough challenge because you had like some sites uh, it was just kind of like a, a reverse cron like set of news right like not super hard other sites it was all about fan posts and, and fan posts is, is kind of like the self-published, you know, articles that anyone can write. You know, other sites, all they would do is basically like, you know, write recaps of, of games. So, you know, in many ways, as much as it was a reorganization of you know, and restructuring of the UI of the sites, it was also for, for some sites, it was, you know, they had to kind of change and, and adapt what their editorial um, practice was. And, you know, for some people, it was very, very you know, uncomfortable. And it, it was a big shift. So, you know, it took we have awesome support managers. And, you know, it took a lot of conversations and a lot of us working together and, and working with our bloggers to, you know, kind of make sure that this ended up being a, a, a positive experience as opposed to a super negative experience.
0: So did you show him, did you have any visual designs of the site or wireframes or anything that you showed him to sort of let him know, like, this is where the logo is going to go? And did you guys come up with the circle format or was that something that he came up with?
1: Uh, So we actually really had, I think when he, when we started working with him, we had, we had just finished up some sketches around typography. We literally did not know like how the, how or where the branding was going to sit in the nav. Um, I think at that point in time we had imagined all that stuff, um, centered. So like, no, we really had like nothing to show him. The circle mark was, we had done some kind of like loose, (laughs) loose sketches. And, uh, we had something in a circle in the sketches. But what Frazier did is he did did a, a, a rather in-depth study of, you know, kind of came up with a, a, like four or five different options of what a lockup could be. You know, we kind of workshop that into the circle mark. He had ones that to be honest, were much more interesting. And, you know, each one would have been a little bit more custom and more more in like organic shape than say, cause obviously each one is custom due to the, the illustration that goes in them, but they were all a little bit too tall for, for what we needed. And, you know, just as we started kind of thinking about, you know, what a masthead would be on the site, we're like, all right, we probably need something a little bit more uniform. So that's how we, we came back to the, uh, the circle.
0: So how much say did the individual blog editors have on the visual look of the site, but also the identity of the site? Did they come with specific design requests or did you guys sort of spearhead most of that?
1: Uh, so, so what we did is, is we set up the, like, you know, like a creative brief questionnaire and we asked them for like three, kind of like three core ideas around what a, a mark could be we shared a ton of Frazier's earlier work, you know, work that not that he hadn't done for SB Nation, but had done for around sports branding. So we asked him that question. We asked them, you know, if there was a primary and secondary color, what would they be? And Then we asked them a little bit for kind of like, you know, any any aspirational ideas, um, and that was really it. So with that input, you know, Frazier kind of went off and and did his thing. And we were, you know, it went surprisingly smooth. I think there, you know, out of 330, you know, I think probably he nailed 50 to 60% on the, on the first try. And, and then on, like, definitely for all the other ones, you know, second try, we were good to go. So it went really, you know, it, it was really good. Now, I'd like, yeah, if you asked, you know, some of them, it wasn't a great experience. I think one of the interesting things about having, such a robust community that we do on Espionation is that there are many opinions and there are places for people to post many opinions. Right.
0: And fans can be the most vitriolic like
1: (laughs) opinions of all. Yeah. So some people love the new Mark. Um, Other people, you know, patrons of the site were less than enthused by it, you know, but I think, I mean, again, it was a massive change, right? Like, you know, we kind of, you know, sometimes when we talk about it, it's, it's like we went into like the local bar and uh you know we changed like all the beer that was on tap um like we fixed the stool that like you know was a little bit bent and one of the things we found out was like hey you know what they actually really liked all that beer that they had on tap and you know it was really yeah. comfortable that that stool that was like a little bit bent and you know so for us it was you know it was it was a thing that was like necessary for kind of like the growth of the network but i would definitely say if we had you know if we had an opportunity to do it again we would you know it with you know hindsight being 2020 20, there definitely would, we would approach certain parts of the project much differently now
0: well it's it's interesting to me that the fans cared so much about i mean i can see from the user experience side where it's like oh things have moved around and that type of thing just from like a pure like muscle memory type aspect but like if they if they mentioned or cared about like the logos of the site it's like okay well this isn't your team's logo this is this site's logo this isn't the logo that you're buying on your apparel you know (laughs) yep yep I'm curious though because of that so I'm a Kentucky fan obviously and I'm curious what what the uh the Kentucky guy had to say with his just because like looking at
1: the other other logos Uh, in that one he was very very happy like that was actually kind of the the mark that ended up there was kind of exactly what he wrote up and is like, you know, in, in the paragraph, um, on the creative brief. So, so he was happy.
0: Okay. So he dictated, he he wanted the outline of the state of Kentucky Yep, and all that. Okay, cool. So I I, I, I was just curious because I, I I, personally, I'm not a huge fan of it just because like, it's one of those things like as a Kentuckian, like you see it everywhere and, uh, and that type of thing. And then seeing some of the other super cool, like when, when Frazier sort of got to Liberty, was allowed the liberty to go and make some of these illustrations. It's like, man, I I want one of those.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, my, you know, my advice to everyone when, you know, when I, like, when I sent out an email, like outlining what we were doing was to kind of give Fraser that liberty. You know, I think one of the things you put to avoid or like, you know, we're like outlines of states and whatnot. But how, like, so, we had to balance kind of the, like those hopes and dreams with like the reality of needing to get 330 of these done. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 would, I would have to say that that personally is, is the, the, the one that we ended up before Kentucky, one of my favorites. No, like the ones where, we, where Frazier is able to cut loose. I agree with you. They're, they're just great. You know, some of them are better than the branding that the teams actually have.
0: Yeah, it just, it just goes to, it goes to show you. And I think that's a, an interesting discussion there within itself that, you know, a lot, I see a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, like they'll sort of launch like these fake branding initiatives and stuff like that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you're totally practicing your skill set and sort of developing out these things. But you know, the reality is on a lot of these projects, there are clients involved and you have to navigating those waters is, is the toughest part in design period, in my opinion.
1: Um agree one hundred percent um i think one one of the interesting challenges on the estimation project in particular was you know we basically in essence had you know three hundred and at that point, 330 clients over like about a six to eight eight week period everyone who like had an opinion everyone had ideas, obviously just due to time and and expense there's no <laughs> there's no way we could you know kind of like hit everyone's wish. So some of the job was, you know, being a bit of a diplomat and, in, in, you know, being like, hey, this is this is this is really this is actually really, really great. And we should roll with this. So it was it was an interesting process. It was definitely as good of an experience as it was. I, I really, really hope we don't rebrand all 310 SB <laughs> sites for like another seven years.
0: Yeah. So did you guys, I know that media is completely different in terms of like what they can use trademark wise and, and name wise and that type of thing. It's not like you guys are necessarily selling merchandise with, you know, like a CF blue on it, but I'm curious if you ran into any pushback from schools as far as like licensing and things like that, just be, because some of some of the names.
1: Um, so we are really, really fortunate at, at Vox Media. We have an outstanding legal team. Every name of a site that we launch um, gets vetted by our legal. Um, every mark <coughs> that we had done for for um, SB Nation United um, legal reviewed and gave feedback on. There were maybe like ten to twenty that we just had to t- had to like can um, and, and get rid of. There were some that we thought were OK that we launched and we had to change. I think it was MMA Mania in, in particular. We got a uh, – you know, we were using an octagon on it and we got a cease and desist from the UFC. We could not use an octagon or we could not use the octagon the way that we had depicted it. We had to, we had to change it. But overall, it, you know, we didn't have – you know one, because our, our legal team is really, really good. We didn't have a ton of trouble um, with that. Gotcha. So I,
0: I want to switch paths here for a minute and kind of go a little bit deeper into Vox Media itself, uh, you know, at the top level. Do you have a, a design in-house design staff of what, like 20 plus designers? And uh, so is ever are people are designers assigned to specific brands in-house or does everyone pretty much touch all of the sites?
1: So kind of like the org- the, the organization of, of how we do things is, is kind of ever changing early on when, you know, we were three sites, um, you know, like we had people that were, you know, I wouldn't say like straight up assigned to sites, but we had people that worked longer term with those, with those editorial teams, you know, a year ago and two years ago, we made, we kind of made a big push into, you know, long form storytelling, um, and, and kind of like, you know, high touch visuals for, for all that storytelling. So at that point in time, every, the Verge, SB Nation, Polygon, um, they had designers and developers that were kind of assigned to those teams. At that point in time, too, we also had kind of like, you know, product teams that were assigned to those teams. So it'd be a small cross-functional team of a product manager, a subset of, of designers, uh, front-end developers, and, and back-end developers. And it worked, when we were three sites, it, it worked really well. But as we, as we started to grow, uh, what we noticed was, you know, the, the maintenance of, you know, three bespoke sites and then four bespoke sites. And then all of a sudden we're in a universe now of, of seven is that when you start thinking about scaling an organization, you know, you, all of a sudden you just need, you need a bunch of people to do, you know, that level of work on every site. So we've kind of, you know, I'd say probably at least one time a year, over the past three years, as we've grown, we, we've kind of restructured um, how we work. So the way the way we're structured now is kind of everyone gets to touch everything, um, probably at different times of the year, and it depends on what kind of, of project you're working on. Um, the product team as a whole now is, I want to say, with a couple of hires that we're making, we're probably about seventy people strong, and you know that ranges from designers to developers to product managers to support managers at any point in time we're we're typically running 10 to 13 projects and so those 70 people kind of you know are broken out um across all those projects where it makes sense um and then you know teams spin up teams spin down and you know people work on one thing and then and then you know jump on to the next project so it's a little it's a little bit more organic now than it was in the past
0: so you guys have a couple different offices. Like, is that product team distributed or is everybody in one location?
1: We are, we are distributed. Um, we have, you know, our headquarters is in DC, although I think the folks that work out of our New York office would probably debate that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um and then, you know, we have, we have, and then we have a bunch of folks that, that, uh, work remotely around the country. We have people in Canada, we have people in Iowa, we have people in California, um, my boss runs a, Trey runs a, a small office down in Austin. And, you know, so I think we've, you know, we, and with distributed teams obviously come, you know, some challenges. Um, however, technology is, is a wonderful thing. We use Slack all the time. Uh, that's like the majority of our communication yeah, happens yes. there. Google Hangouts are our best friend for bigger, more important calls, like things like GoToMeeting, you know. So we, we've been able to kind of, you know, make like distributed teams work pretty well.
0: That's great, man. I actually, uh, I'm a huge fan of remote work. I just, uh, you know, Jason Fareed's book remote. And, uh, I, I myself live rurally and because of family being here and that type of thing. Like I just, I sort of, this is where I, I love it here. You know, like I don't want to have yep. to pick up and move to like a bigger city. And, and I think it's great that you guys do that. And honestly, you know, you see, I think when you see some digital agencies and, you know technology companies that sort of claim to be technology companies, but they don't allow for remote workers, like in my opinion, it's sort of like well, are you truly fully digital <laughs> you know like if you still require people to come in every single day to this particular office
1: no no, like whole wholeheartedly agree, and then like we've got some some kind of like cool policies where if people you know for the people that are in you know either d c or New York and honestly even if you're remote like if you decide hey, I want to go work from Spain for like a month or two um honestly anywhere in the world as long as there's an internet connection um like people have the flexibility to to, to do that i don't think they take it often enough but cuz it's funny cuz obviously like you know you know with, with having kids the the flexibility of like you know going somewhere else for like an extended period of time is is super hard right but you know we we've had some people take advantage of it and it's 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 really cool they come back and they're just like yeah it was like amazing to be somewhere else and it's really great to be back
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I actually, so in between episodes of the interview episodes of this show come out every other week, but on the in between weeks, I'm actually, I launched a new series on the last episode actually called halftime where it's like a 20 minute show of me just talking about, I've been a freelancer for pretty much most of my career with a brief stint as a partner at a web shop, uh, in Lexington as a creative director. But one of the topics that I'm touching on is, uh, remote work being you know as long as you have an internet connection you can connect with people all over the world and, you know for example I, I mean look at us right now like you're in DC and and i'm in Kentucky you know we're having this sort of deep conversation uh, <laughs> uh, and and it doesn't it doesn't matter you know like that's that's the beauty of it that's not to downplay human actual you know physical interaction with human beings by any means but you know as far as work and if you design if you're a designer and, and making things for like the web, then you know, there, there really shouldn't be a reason that you sh- you should have to go into a place every single day. So that, I think that's great. You guys are doing that.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, I, th- I think, I think what's interesting too, is you talk about like the, the human contact part of it. And um, like one of the things we do annually and sometimes twice a year, depending upon if we can make it happen is um, we get the entire product team together and you know, some parts of the other company and, and we do a hack week. We've done it in Austin. We've done it in DC last year. We did it in Philly and, the projects can be related to stuff we need to do for the company. The projects can be completely, you know, unrelated, but it gets, you actually like, gives all of us a chance to be in one location to kind of like remember that, you know, Hey, that, that dude that I talked to you out in California is, you know, actually a real person, not just like a, you know, a disembodied voice, um, or, you know, a bunch of characters in a, uh, in a chat window. Um, <laughs> right, right. So, so there there, is,
0: he's not a random blog commenter. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, so, so there is, there is like sometimes, especially with, with a team of, of like our size, it, 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 there are positives of of getting everyone in the same room, um, at least once a year.
0: So, so once, uh, you know, so you have this, you have this site, you know, the, well, this network of sites, but you know, once like on a project like SB Nation, so once that's launched. The 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 redesign, and you know, it's sort of you've got this templated thing going for all of the content creators, and then you know they have their own. I'm assuming uh, custom CMS that you guys built that they can upload their things with. What does the day to day of the designer's role become from that point? Like once one of these large projects comes
1: about. So, I mean, for SB Nation in particular, you know, we 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 launched. You know, we we probably didn't have well, I shouldn't say probably we definitely didn't have a long enough like public beta before we uh before we just kind of like pulled the trigger on things. Um so for SB Nation in particular, the the next month, if not like three months, were us working with the community to kind of fine-tune what we had rolled out and to kind of like you know, one just to make sure that they understood that like we were you know listening because it was such a massive change and then two to, to, to help make the sites better. but I mean I think w- what's been fascinating over the past four years is that you know typically once one of these big projects kind of like spins down, um, we either already have another massive one underway or we have another really really large uh, initiative that, that you know people need to, to, to jump on. like there's not a, a ton of, of downtime. Um, like we just relaunched, uh, eater.com this fall, uh, the team that was working on that, uh, immediately jumped onto redesigning, uh, racked.com, which we're going to launch later this year, all the way going back to, you know, almost this time last year, um, when, you know, we, when, when Ezra Klein, Melissa Bell and Matt Glacius came to Vox Media, um, at that point in time, we actually didn't have we had two, we had two choices. We could either launch really, really quick or basically wait a year until schedules opened up on our team, um, with the amount of projects that were happening before we could launch their site. So obviously we chose to to launch their site quickly. And and we kind of, you know, it it was funny because a lot of us who, the more senior members of the team who spend the majority of their time in like Google docs and meetings and other, other fun things, um, outside of designing and developing things, it was kind of like we got the band back together and and actually made something again. So that was, that was actually a blast, but yeah, on a day to day, like we've got, we've kind of got big buckets of work. Like right now we have a team called um, news apps and, and the stuff that they work on are kind of like it's across all verticals, you know, so the NFL season preview, uh, the verge 50, the big eater 38 uh, that just launched, like they work on these kind of larger features um, that roll out they also work on developing repeatable tools that we can pass out to all the editorial teams. Um, you know, one of the, one of the big ones they rolled out there was like a meme tool, which is, you know, super simple. It's, it's like an image, a color overlay, and then like your like the branding of the site and some text all basically within a web form that then, that then can get blasted out with like all your tweets. Cause so obviously the engagement of a tweet with a photo is much better than one without a photo. You know, we've got the teams that kind of work on launching the sites. We also have a, a large team that works on advertising. And that's everything from helping pitch RFPs to executing ad campaigns to developing new type of advertising units um, and even developing a, you know, a platform that can deliver um, our custom ad units and our, um, you know, our brand advertising opportunities. And that's not even getting into like systems and security and things like that. So there, there's like, it always blows my mind. It was funny. I remember when I went to the post, um, to Washington Post.com for the first time. And I was kind of, I, I think I was expecting maybe like seven people there, you know what I mean? And then I got there and there were, it was just such a big organization. So it, it's always a little bit funny when you go under the hood on these things, just to see how much, how many people it takes to, to kind of make all this stuff happen.
0: Yeah, I think for me you uh stating that you guys had 70 people in the product side was was sort of like wow. <laughs> well, I wasn't wasn't expecting that. So do have you guys found, you know, when you launched so SB Nation obviously and then it grew into these other sites, have you found from a design perspective and a branding perspective that you're moving To a consistent visual look across all of the verticals or maybe a consistent style guide in the way that you, you know, design navigation and things like that? Or do you kind of let each of those verticals have their own space?
1: So the way we've approached it so far is we let each of those verticals um, have their own space. I think what's interesting um, is, you know, it wasn't as if like four years ago, we're like, hey, in four years, we're going to have, you know, seven sites and you know, whatever, over like 150 million, um, you know, visitors every month. So in some ways it wasn't, you know, I, I wouldn't say that we were like, Hey, it'll be awesome. If we develop seven sites that are, are, are kind of like super unique. Um, you know, in some ways it, it's, it's a little bit of, of a pain point. One of, one of the projects we did this past year was to kind of like in, in broad terms, like standardize and our article template. And, you know, so I don't, well, I don't think That necessarily like, you know, this year, like all of a sudden all of our, it's not like we're going to become like gawker, you know what I mean? Like we're not going to, we're not going to go to something that's, that's super standard. I think what we are probably going to develop are some systems that are a little bit more scalable than what we have right now. Um, yet allowing us to maintain like brand voice, uh, for, for each of the, each of the sites. What, what is fascinating though, and you know, sometimes, uh, I get the, the, uh, I got asked to to go to go talk, and and this past year I've given talks about the the launch of Box.com, and you know when we rolled that out, like what we did is we used we literally used SB Nation, the SB Nation layout as the underlying structure for that site. Obviously, we changed branding, we changed color, um, we changed typography, but you know outside of that, like we didn't reinvent the wheel on any on um, anything but the the idea of card stacks. I I was giving a talk at Society of News Design, and I I put just a a gif together of, you know, the Espionation homepage, like, revealing to the Vox homepage. And while not, like, a straight – like, and this is the the first homepage, not the the one that's out there currently – but while not, like, a a straight-up one-to-one execution, it was really close, and a lot of folks are really, really surprised. And I think, you know, I think the thing that – our takeaway from that is, like, okay – if you may, if, if you are able to get super distinctive branding, if you are able to smartly use color and if you make a big investment in, in typography, you know, you can take a template that looks, you know, you can use something that, that looks one way for one site and it makes something radically different for another. And especially once you break down to mobile, right? Cause I mean, I think, you know, desktop is, is kind of like where you can you can pull out all like the bells and whistles and, and make everything look different. But when you get down to mobile, you know, everything in essence needs to be in in, in a one column experience. Um, So type color and and brand become even more important there.
0: Yeah. You know, that's interesting that you say that, that because I think the web in general, like, especially if you, if you happen to use grids at all, uh, there's really only so much you can do, you know? So basically every (laughs) single site (laughs) on the entire web that, uh, you know, distinguishes itself through, you know, you might have four columns, but they distinguish themselves through the typography and the imagery and that type of thing. I just, uh, <laughs> quick side note, I, I, I've been to Vox.com, obviously, uh, but I just now went there as we were talking <laughs> and this, this ad, this Discover ad just blew my mind. I think this is the first ad that I've seen online that has sort of like the fixed background <laughs> where the, you know, the, the parallax background where the ad sort of just like, as you're scrolling down <laughs> the background image of this girl scrolls up behind it. Uh, yep. That's that's yep. crazy. That's crazy. Crazy.
1: So, so what's wild about that is that's actually a, an ad we create in-house. Okay. Which uh, so we get all the assets from you know from Discover, Discover's agency, and then we kind of we kind of execute on this stuff. These ad units were a thing that it was they actually came up while we were um, designing SB Nation, Like while we were on the SB Nation United project, we were sketching out what long form features could be. And, like, we kept running into walls with standard advertising, right? We're like, oh, it'd be great if we could do this. And you're like, well, we're going to have to put, like, a 300 by 250. And, you know, in, in, in many ways, the, like, those sizes are, like, soul-crushing because they just, they just mess up what a layout could be. And one of our designers, um, well, two of our designers, John Fuller and, and Scott Kellum, had this idea. They were like, what if we could do the, the idea of, like, almost like a full-page magazine ad? Um, but add some, you know, whether it's like a fixed background and some parallax or, you know, like, you know, put some like rich media in there, like, you know, what could we do? So we rolled those out, you know, at that point in time, it was like everything else. They were like all like handcrafted. It was like, you know, it took us like weeks to, to get them done. But, you know, um, the engagement rate on these versus standard creative is ridiculous.
0: Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, I think that's the thing that sets you guys apart. Honestly, Vox Media as a company is you sort of take that traditional internet advertising model of sort of just stamping banner ads, you know, which, which you, you know, you you guys have some banner ads and stuff that are sort of static, but you sort of take it and turn it on its back as a whole by creating sort of these these quality, this quality integrated content that doesn't necessarily feel like advertising. I, I mean, for this particular ad, like you cannot miss this ad. As you scroll down the page, like it's makes you look at it. <laughs> so you guys have an in-house advertising group. Have you, before that, did you guys have an agency of record or anything that was doing some stuff for you guys?
1: No, no, we, we, you know, we never did. We, um, it's funny. So, so before like, we have a, a an in-house group called Vox creative. Um, and it's, it's a team of, of, you know, super talented kind of like, uh, producers, um, and creative directors and um and then and then we have the product team that works with them to kind of, you know, uh execute on on these campaigns. You know, previous to that, we had like uh like two or three people on on a, a team that was glamorously called uh Cringer um after the the he-man um Battle Cat character. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny, man, when I was this is going to sound super nerdy and maybe even sp- I don't know, borderline psychotic. But when I was a kid, I had, uh, you know, like imaginary friends or whatever. And one of my friends, one of my imaginary friends was Cringer <laughs> because I was like such a He-Man, He-Man fan.
1: <laughs> no, that, that that actually is awesome and not bad at all. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but so, so yeah, I think, you know, kind of what we, what we've done and, and what we've historically done is we, we kind of like skeleton staff things until like they, they prove out as, as really, really, you know, um, being an advantage for, for the business. And then, and then we kind of, you know, uh, grow them out into, into big groups. Um, we were just fortunate enough to hire, uh, Lindsay Nelson, um, from slate to come in and, and run the, uh, the Vox creative team. And, you know, and Vox creative is really more of a, a bigger play. Like, while wow, we'll, we'll do some of these, these kind of nicer, you know, uh, high impact in essence, standard ads, Vox Creative is, is a really big play into, um, branded content. And, uh, you know, like, are there ways that we can, you know, like, you know, you and I, uh, before we hopped on here, we were, we were talking a little bit about Red Bull and just, just what an outstanding job they do of, you know, building this universe of, of sports content around, around their brand. And so, so we have this group to kind of help, you know, other brands, uh, do that. You know, I, th- I think it's an interesting space. Like, I guess what's funny for me is having been, you know, getting my getting my start of the post uh, over in, in, the, in the publishing space over 10 years ago is like, you know, all this stuff was called was advertorial, right? Like, it's not as if it's not as if we're exactly like reinventing the wheel. Um, we are probably making, right. a, you know, everyone's probably making a much better looking and better functioning wheel than, than what advertorial was. But, you know, it, it is like it's funny how sometimes like like this stuff is cyclical.
0: Yeah, but I think from like uh like from video and things like that, you know, the content is just so much better. Yes. In uh, in in comparison to like say a a two page spread at a print magazine that's clearly you know an
1: ad. No, no, agree, agree, one hundred percent, agree, one hundred percent. Um, but yeah, no, so so Vox create like they they've got some. Shoot, I'm trying to think. I know they're, they're work, they they've they've worked on some some super interesting campaigns. The uh, they did a really really interesting one with Nike called First and Long, and that that you know that performed really well and, and was pretty interesting. Um, it even had like a component where you could um, basically they had they had some kind of like speeches from from athletes like. And Damakan Su, uh Deshaun da- Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson, as I stutter. And and they would send you could text your friend like an inspirational message from the athletes from the ad unit. So they they they've done they've done some cool stuff over the past year.
0: Cool. So the traditional advertising model in in the sports industry as a whole, not just you know the digital digital world, is sort of plastering sponsorship logos on <laughs> digital and physical real estate. <laughs> You know we still see millions of dollars being paid for these types of things. Do you ever think this that this vox uh, media model will ever sort of begin to bleed in some of these other areas of sports like say the teams themselves
1: um I, that's a great question you know i I mean I think my, my answer is is yes, but it's it's kind of like a big like it's a like yes with a question mark you know I, I think it, it it all depends on on if teams feel that it's of value to them. You know, I think in particular, like living in the DC market, would do. do I do. I think the, the the Redskins would ever be interested in anything like this. No. However, if you look at what like what the Wizards and the Caps, you know, I mean, obviously they're owned by uh, Ted Leonsis, but um, they have like Monument Media, which I think it's Monument Media, which is, is kind of like their version of you know news sites for the teams. So my my gut on that is like for the teams themselves, they're going to want control and they're going to want to roll it out themselves um, as opposed to like to, to working with folks like us. Um, However, that being said um, would absolutely love to, to work with the teams themselves.
0: So you, you were vital in building the design team at Vox and also integrating the internship side at Vox media. So from the internship side, are you seeing schools doing a better job of educating students on designing for the web from a product perspective and a UX perspective?
1: So, like now, yes. When I started, you know, here about four years ago, no. And and, and previous to um, you know me working here, uh, I also I used to to teach at uh, the Corcoran College of Art and Design um, when that was still a thing in DC. And I think one of the things that was really interesting to me was that like like print was was still king, so it was it was, it was just a, a super fascinating thing for me to be much more um, focused on digital and, and and to be part of that staff you know and and what I would say is over the past you know three or four years you know the 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 kind of the skill sets that students are coming out with are like amazing and uh, you know it, it's made you know it, it's you know we honestly we've hired. Probably about like eighty percent of the people that have interned with us, they they've come on and and you know they comprise a, a a very large portion of of our design team, and it's been cool to watch because like you know these kids like you know they you know I mean shoot I'm I'm pushing forty so this is all you know all, like I ad- like adapted in in my career and and for them it's just been like what they've grown up with so it, it's, right. it's it's super fascinating. Um, yeah,
0: I think, I think I'm ready to quit the industry after seeing like half the, half the <laughs> stuff coming up.
1: <out. laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, I'm like, I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, they're going to like do my job tomorrow.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Stay, stay away from like dribbles, popular
1: page. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I think, I think the other thing that, that's interesting too is like, and there's like an upside and a downside to that. So the upside is, is, you know, they get these, you know, they, they're much more, um, technically adept, you know, the, the one thing, the one downside that I've seen is is like the straight up design chops are like maybe a little bit uh, like, like lacking, um, you know, the fundamentals of layout, the fundamentals of how to use a grid, the fundamentals of, you know, of of typography, those core components of design, you know, I, I think some, some of these folks and, you know, not, this isn't like, I'm not pointing fingers at at, at folks on my team, but I I think like that stuff, everyone still needs to work on and and work on even more.
0: Yeah. That's, that's interesting that you say that because, you know, I think this digital world, like you sort of traditionally graphic design was sort of one of those things that you went to school for. You learned about typography, you learned about, you know, basic fundamentals of composition and layout. And, you know, the web is one of those things that you can just do, you know, you can just start and learn anywhere. And if you kind of go into the technical side and learn the technical side, you may miss those other sides. Now that's not to say at all. I'm, I'm sort of a, uh, have become an advocate of if you want to design for the web, you don't really necessarily have to go to college, especially if you're going to take out student loans. Cause like mathematically oh, yeah. it just does, it doesn't add up, like, yep. you know, but you know, I think that one of the things when I get people that ask me, like, you know, what can I do to get better and these types of things? It's like, you know, I'm not going to tell you, like, the new hotness that you can do in Photoshop. <laughs> I'm going to say, hey, you need to study typography yep, and, yep, yep. and learn about composition.
1: <laughs> no, I like, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly agree. I mean, it, like, if you're fundamentally strong there, right, and you're able to translate that into the digital space, like, you're miles ahead of, of where a lot of folks are.
0: Yeah. So uh, speaking of that, when, when you hire for the team at Vox Media, what other specific things that you're looking for? Um, Whether it's freelance or full-time.
1: So I I think, you know, like team culture is, is a huge thing for us. And like, I, you know, and and some places use culture as like a a crutch and an excuse not to hire. I, I think what I look for are like, honestly, like interesting people, like one, like obviously like they need to be, they need to have, need to be talented. Right. But like, you know, you don't really want to work with like a a jerk who's talented. Um, you know, we all end up spending, you know, like we spend a lot of time together. Like it's, it's, you know, I don't want to say like we, we work all the time, but like, you know, we, when it comes to like a launch, like all of a sudden you're like stuck with, with these folks for like a week, you know? So, personalities that work together is super important. Is this person a, like a a quality person that I would want to be around, um, is, is very, very important. You know, does this person bring something to the team that we're lacking again, super important. You know, I think, I think, you know, diversity has been a a huge conversation, um, within, you know, the the tech industry, um, over the last year. And it's been one of the focuses for, you know, us in particular, you know, we started our product team in sports and, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, safe to say that, that within that kind of like subset of, of media, it's a, a male dominated space. And, and, you know, we've had to work hard and we still have a lot of work to do, but to get our team as, as diverse as we think it needs to be, you know, so those are, those are kind of interesting challenges as well.
0: Yeah. I'm actually, uh, that's a challenge that I have as well with this show. And finding guests that, you know, that I don't want to, it's one of those things that you don't want to divert. I'm not a fan necessarily of diversity for the sake of diversity, right? Like, I guess it's like, you know, I don't want to just bring somebody on because they may not be like me, a white male, or they may be a female. I want to bring somebody on because their talent is, is a, is a, a driver of that. Yep. Yep. So real quick, can you touch on the differences of, uh, design director, which is your role and then creative directors at Vox Media? Cause we see, you know, you can have creative directors at a design agency and that type of thing.
1: Sure. So no, no, super, like super, uh, like valid point and, and good thing to clarify on, um, like, I think the first time when we when we named Chad Mum, the like, kind of like the initial creative director of Vox Media, like my entire team freaked out and they're like, wait, wait, we don't report to you anymore. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm like, we're I'm like, nothing's changing. I'm like, my my role is 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 still my role. Um, so what creative directors are in, in charge of is is kind of like like literally the, the at Vox Media are. Campaigns and kind of like big ideas to um, partner with you know with advertisers, and then they work with product team designers and um, other folks and like you know people on the video team to to kind of uh, put out these awesome ad campaigns. What my job as design director is to like one to um, support all the designers that are that are on staff. Two to like make sure that the work that, you know, is, is public facing is as good as can possibly be without making everything insane, um, and micromanaging anything. Um, and then, you know, it's also, you know, I think what's interesting too, it's kind of like, like morphing, you know, like the way we're thinking about it now is we're going to have some, like some visuals teams. So a lot of it is kind of like making sure that all the right people are communicating at the right time is, is another big portion of it you know, it's it's funny because people are like, what's a typical day for you? And I was like, yeah, I don't have one. I'm like, you know, some (laughs) days I can, I I could actually be designing things. I'm like other days I'm like, I'm going to be working on kind of like, you know, organizational design. And then like some other days I'm going to be like straight up working with, with people on like, Hey, like where do you actually want to go in, in your career? Like, you know, I think, I think that's the other big thing too, is that, you know, one, we want to like, like hire great people. And we like, we hope, that those people stay with us but you know if if like we aren't you know able to help like if they can't get what they want out of their career here you know we want to be able to help them get it you know find that that perfect gig and go do what they want to do somewhere else too like so that that's like another big part of it
0: cool so uh wrapping up here uh, cuz i know that I and, I and i'm appreciative of you doing this on a saturday morning and we're both family men here but uh a, a lot of sports Teams, in-house designers at sports teams, and possibly marketers tend to listen to this show. Uh, can you shed some light, last-minute light, on how important design is to all organizations, and and its importance for in-house designers to fight for a seat at the table, and or what they can do to prove their worth, other than just being cake decorators?
1: Yeah, I mean that that's a that's a super. I mean, it's, it's one, it's a hard challenge, right? Like certain organizations um, get it. Uh, like I was, I was very fortunate that at, at Vox, Trey Brundra, my boss was like, you know, created enough air cover for, for me to put together a, a pretty stellar team and, and give us the space to kind of like prove our worth. You know, I mean, I, I think the big question for for people, and and it's an org to org one, right? Like, because design is typically something you you have to to fight a little bit for. I think I think the conversation around design is becoming much better. I think I think people are able to see the value of good design much more so than than they, they have in the past. I think like social media plays a big part in that. Um, I think just online presence plays a big part in that, you know, you're able, like these days you're able to have your brand in front of people kind of almost at will if you want to. And design ends up becoming kind of, you know, in essence, like your front door and you probably want like your front door and your storefront window to look stellar and not kind of, you know, look like a, you know, a trashy part of the neighborhood. Um, (laughs) right. But, you know, I think for folks that want a seat at the table, you know, a lot of times what you have to do is figure out what the business value is, like, you know, what, you know, and find allies within there. And, you know, you know, become close with those folks, talk to those folks, see what their hopes and dreams are, figure out how your hopes and dreams can align with their hopes and dreams. And then like, start, you know, proving that that, hey, guess what, like, not only am I going to make things look good, um, but I'm also a great strategic partner for you if If your goal is you know to increase you know sales by whatever like you know thirty percent, like let's talk about it. Maybe I have some ideas that can help us um, sell much more like sell more merchandise um, or sell more tickets. You know, so I think, I think some of that is like the idea that as a designer, you just want to design, like, sure, you can, you can have that job within the organization. However, if you're a person that you feel that you want design to have a seat at the table, like you've got to go out, make those relationships, talk to those other folks that have seats at the table, and then carve out your seat at the table.
0: That's great advice, man. And I think that's, uh... We we'll wrap with that one. That's uh, in strategy, strategic being strategic about you know your moves. I think designers, there are designers that just want to make visual things, and that's fine, you know. But if you sort of want to move up in this field, I believe that you have to sort of become a little more strategic and very business focused in your craft, which is part of why I'm doing halftime, the in between half time speeches of these, these shows. So, man, I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on board. Where can our listeners support you and reach out to you online if they want to get in touch?
1: Sure. So, um, on Twitter, I am, uh, Ted underscore Irvin. So that's T E D underscore I R V I N E. Um, if you want to catch up with, uh, what we're up to, um, that we have a product blog, it's product.voxmedia.com. You know, there are a ton of, of, you know, super, super talented folks, much more talented than me, um, that write, you know, about all things design, all things tech, um, how we approach problems. We've open sourced a bunch of things, you know, uh, you can also reach me, um, if you want to email me and have any comments or have any thoughts or have any questions, um, love talking to people. Um, it's just ted at voxmedia.com. You know, right now we're we're hiring, not really on design, but we're hiring uh, um on the front end like front end uh developers and whatnot. So it's a if you're interested in sports, if you're interested in publishing and media, you know, I I like to think we're we're a pretty good place to work. You know, we have a really great team, um and you know, we love to talk to everybody.
0: And you can and you can work from home in your in your boxers if you want to, sometimes.
1: Sometimes. (laughs) Um if you're super clever, you can work from like the beach in a bathing suit, like (laughs) or in Europe. Or in Europe. Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, 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 thanks again, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Uh, no, thank you so much for having me. This has, been, this has been a great, it's been a fun discussion. Cool.
0: So my, my next guest on the show, you heard him mentioned earlier, is Fraser Davidson. If you're listening to this show, uh, interested in sports design or the creative side of sport, and you haven't heard of Fraser... You've probably been living in a cave, honestly. (laughs) Fraser is a a sports branding designer. He's an illustrator and he's an animator. He's a multifaceted uh, creative person. He's the founding partner of Cub Studio, which is a London-based animation studio, and he is also the founder and creative director of a sports branding agency called Field Theory. Fraser's work can be seen on both television and on many of our favorite college sports teams as he's worked on projects with the likes of the NFL, ESPN, Nike, and today's guest, uh, Ted, over at SB Nation. For more about Frazier, you can see his work at cubstudio.com, or you can view some of his latest work on his very active Dribble profile, which is dribble.com slash Frazier Davidson. Big thanks again to Ted Irvin for taking the time uh, to come on the show and, and give us some of his input. You can Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Ted underscore Irvin. And then the Vox product blog that he was talking about earlier also has a Twitter account, which is at Vox product. Also be sure to check out some of the work him and his team do at Voxmedia.com, which where you can see all of the other brands that they're working on, uh, the other verticals and, and, and the obvious one, uh, which is SB nation. A couple of quick announcements. Halftime is live. Check out the previous episode where I introduced the show and a few upcoming topics. On next week's episode, I'm going to be discussing imposter syndrome. So that should be a, a pretty interesting one for most of us. Also, recently, we had our first Google Hangout over the holidays. A few listeners and episode 13 guest, Chris Bazin, joined the Hangout, uh, and we sat around and just talked shop. Planning to try to do one of these uh, every month from now on, and I'll include a sign-up sheet in the community when it launches. But for now, if you're interested... It's on a first-come, first-served basis, unfortunately, because Google only allows 10 people max in these Hangouts. So keep watching at Makers of Sport Twitter for details, and if you want to get in on that, there's a few spots left on this next one. Email me, info at makersofsport.com. Lastly, be sure to follow myself on Twitter, at T. Adam Martin, and if you haven't done so and are listening to this content from these awesome guests, then please take two minutes and write a review of this show on iTunes. You can get there by going to makersofsport.com slash iTunes. I'll also accept ratings on or likes on Stitcher SoundCloud or whichever application you happen to be listening to. I'll see you guys around Twitter. Until next time, have a good week.